pattern of sound words, which you have heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in you or in us. Note that. Hold fast the pattern, the form of sound words, which you've heard of me. Not what you've heard of your mother and grandmother. Don't preach the word of God through the prism of Judaism like you've learned from a child. Preach it through what you've learned from me. And me, I'm an apostle. I laid the foundation of the gospel. That was my job. Now you preach the word through the prism of the gospel that you've heard from me when I laid that foundation. And the things, chapter 2, verse 2, which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. We are told to hold fast the form or the pattern of sound words which the Apostle Paul taught. This means that the gospel message has structure to it. Many today want reality. They want the power of God in their lives. They are not interested in dead formality. I get it. I want that too. But this has resulted in neglect for the teaching of sound doctrine because sound doctrine is often relegated to something unimportant. What we need is relationship. Yes, we do need relationship. What we need is reality. Yes, we do need reality. What we need is power in our lives. Yes, we do need power in our lives. I agree. The word of God without this, it can be dead. But listen, you're not going to get reality. You're not going to get stability. You're not going to get relationship by neglecting the word of God. The word of God, the written word of God is the way to, uh, uh, is the way It is, how shall they believe on him on whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And it says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This reality comes by faith. And there's something about the word of God and reading the written word of God correctly that faith rises up in our hearts to embrace the power that produces this reality. Neglect the word and it's not going to last. I believe it was Byron Paulus. He's alive today. I heard him say a few months ago. If you study history, you will find that no revival has ever lasted long that was not word-driven. Every revival throughout history that has lasted decades was word-driven. That means it began and was sustained through the preaching of the word. I have a book at home that talks about the second century of Christianity when Christianity was at a crossroads. In fact, that's the title of the book, Christianity at the Crossroads. And the the age of the apostles, the apostles had all died out, and yet they were still grappling with developing and putting down and communicating with each other the truth of the gospel. And the church in the third century was a little more stable. They had studied the scriptures enough to understand their doctrine. But in the second century, they were grappling with some of these things. And the church was at a crossroads where it was sometimes looked like it's going to be snuffed out. It wasn't going to be because God was behind it. But sometimes it felt that way with people. Do you know what sustained the church in the second century? The preaching of the word. The preaching of the word was central to their gatherings. And that's what sustained it. I'm going to suggest to you that unless we are word-centered, 
unless we hold fast the structural message of the gospel, the form of sound words, there's a structure to that message of the gospel. The holiness of God, the depravity of man, those are all part of the structure. The need for the Holy Spirit in order to serve God, the finished work of Christ, etc. In other words, the message that Paul preached in the book of Romans, which was a complete systematic theology on the gospel. Any revival we experience without that will be short-lived. Holding the pattern of sound words is as important as the valley of dry bones in Ezekiel 37. The dry bones had to come together and form a structural body before they could contain life. And we can try to proclaim life and inspiration all we want to. And if we don't give people a clear, structured gospel message, it's confusion and it's going to fall apart and it won't last. I've seen a lot of people preaching and a lot of altar calls filled up that amounted to nothing more than what happened at the foot of Mount Sinai after God gave the law. Commit yourself to the Lord. Walk in the deeper. Walk with the Lord. <laughs> Love the Lord. And it, people are inspired and moved just like <coughs> in the Old Testament Israel was when God gave the law. And they cried out and said, all that the Lord has, st- has said we will do. Like, we're going to commit ourselves to, that was their altar call. And you know what God said? Oh, that there were such an heart in them always. God said, you have no idea what your hearts are like. You don't need education. You need transformation. You said you want your education. I gave it to you. Here's your education of what living for me looks like. Oh, we'll do it. No, you won't. Because you don't understand the heart of man and the depravity of man. And many, many altar calls today are nothing more than that. An inspiration, a call to a life of commitment, but to what? No foundation of the gospel underneath that altar call. They don't, it's just a renewed commitment to obey everything God says. Wonderful idea, but you're going to be powerless to do it if the form of sound words and the structure of the gospel has not been laid in your life. You're going to go away, fall flat on your face. Within a few days, after a few years, a few Bible schools of that kind of stuff, you'll get disillusioned and walk away and just say, it's all dead anyway. Because the gospel, the pattern of sound words, has not been laid. At the Hyatt Regency Hotel in Kansas City, Missouri, guests were attending a weekly tea dance in July 1981 when a walkway above them began to buckle. The topmost walkway suspended from the ceiling <coughs> excuse me <coughs> from the ceiling of the lobby's atrium by steel rods collapsed on another two stories under, crushing people standing below. One guest who was there said it sounded like a clap of thunder or lightning. More than 100 people died in the collapse, making it one of the deadliest structural collapses in United States history. What went wrong? It was later discovered that there was a change made in the structural plans, the architectural plans of that walkway, resulting in too much weight being put on a single bulk. Now, do you see what happens? When we try to commit people, get people, commit yourself to God without the form of sound words, without the structure that God has given us to preach that in, without the gospel. So Paul tells Timothy in chapter 113 to hold fast the form or pattern of sound words. 
I charge thee therefore before God. Let's jump to chapter 4 now. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, (coughs) who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Because. For. Why am I telling you, Timothy, preach the word? Why am I charging you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge those who are alive and those who are dead at his appearing? Why am I telling you to preach the word, to be ready to preach it in season, out of season, to use the word of God, to reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine? Because this is why I'm charging you with this. The Holy Scriptures, chapter 3, are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus, because All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. See, he says, therefore, I'm charging you, therefore, because of this. So we go back to chapter 3 and see what's the therefore, therefore. That's what I'm doing here. And and here's what he had told him and said, because of this, I want you to preach the word. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Therefore, preach the word. Because the scripture has that power, preach the word. The word is profitable for absolutely anything we can face. Timothy, I'm giving you a solemn charge given before God himself, the final judge. Timothy, there's coming a day when God himself will judge you for the way you related to his word. Same way with us. The day is coming when Christ comes back that all will be judged. All those who are alive and all those who are dead will one day be judged by Christ, the righteous judge. Those who are dead will be raised and come forth to damnation, as Jesus said in John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. There's a sense of urgency in Paul's life. It's in his tone here. There's urgency. If you read 2 Timothy from beginning to end, you can't help but notice a sense of urgency in the tone. Paul was on his deathbed when he wrote 2 Timothy. The last letter he ever wrote, very soon before he was executed. It was the words of a dying man. He said, I only have one more chance to get a message out to the church. I only have one more chance to tell you what's really important. When a man dies, we want to know what were his last words. Why? We know that when a man comes to the point of death, What he speaks and what he experiences at that point is what is really important to him. Therefore, we want to know. Paul was facing execution, and it was days away. And he wrote this letter, and he said, preach the word. If you want to know what's important, here it is. Preach the word. Timothy, if you compromise with the word, you will not answer to me. You will answer to God himself, the great judge of that day. I'm charging you before the Lord who will judge you on that day. Preach the word. Focus, Timothy, on the primacy of the word. Nothing is more important. The preaching of the word is paramount. Neglect being word-centered and you lose your people's souls. Timothy, tremble what I'm telling you. Every time you get up to preach... Hold the line of truth. Don't go above the line. Don't go below the line. If you compromise because people don't like it, 
God will personally hold you accountable. Some of Paul's last words. And if you add to the word, in order to strengthen the fence of security, God will personally hold you accountable. Be instant, in season, out of season. Be ready to preach the word both when it's convenient and when it is not convenient. Preach the word in season or when there's a need that desperately needs to be addressed (coughs) with the word. The season is here. There's something pressing. We've got to address this situation. Use the word to address it. Preach the word out of season or when there doesn't seem to be a current threat. Preach it proactively before the need becomes overwhelming. Never assume that your people do not need teaching on an area. Always be ready to teach the word whether you think they need it or not, in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. In chapter 3, we read that the word of God is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for reproof, and for exhortation. Therefore, do just that. He repeats that. It's profitable for that. Therefore, reprove, exhort, rebuke. Because that's what it's profitable for. Therefore, use it to do that. Timothy, doctrine is not a luxury. Doctrine is a basic food need. Never, ever allow yourself to neglect doctrine. Doctrine is simply teaching. You say doctrine is not important. All right, so the death of Jesus Christ was not important. That's doctrine. Everything in the Bible is doctrine. It's simply true teaching. Never, ever allow yourself to neglect doctrine. Doctrine is simply teaching, but not all teaching is good. Use sound doctrine to guide the church. Timothy, never replace the preaching of the word and the teaching of doctrine with experience. That is why primarily focusing on topical preaching is not the healthiest. There's places for that. But because generally we will bring our idea of what we want to say and take them to the scriptures and use the scriptures to support those ideas. And, it, and our ideas are often born out of our own experience. And it ends up preaching experience. It's hard to take people past what our own experience is. And there's places for preaching that. But when you wrestle with what the scripture is saying, your experience is not really in the picture. What the word of God is actually saying is in the picture. Never replace the preaching of the word with humanism. That is a teaching that mankind has a potential within himself to improve man's lot in life. Humanism, humans are the answer to humans' needs. That's human, humanism at its core. Never replace the preaching of the word of God with that. A lot of that's going on. Don't replace the preaching, preaching, the heralding, the proclamation. This word, preach the word, literally means to herald or proclaim. Discussing the word is wonderful. It's powerful. We should do it. But it shouldn't take the place of preaching. We shouldn't neglect the heralding of it for that. It should be included in it. But it should go beyond just discussing the word. Know the word. Study the word. Keep the word gospel-centered. And you will be equipped for any situation that arises. If you look through Second Timothy, Paul told him to preach the word to counter the spirit of fear in preaching. Chapter 1, verse 7. Preach the word and train others to do the same. Chapter 2, verse 2. Preach the word to counter vain babblings. Chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. Preach the word to bring false teachers to repentance. Chapter 2, verse 25. Preach the word and live the word to survive fake Christians. Chapter 3. Preach the word while hearts are soft. Chapter 4, verse 3. Preach the word because I'm leaving. 
the Apostle Paul said, preach the word for. And one of those fours in chapter 4 is, I am ready to be offered. That's significant. I am an apostle. The apostles who have this unique message of bringing the word of God that God revealed supernaturally to them, to the church that we talked about earlier, that apostolic age is drawing to a close. When we die, you don't need new revelation. God is going to reveal all the gospel you need to us. And when we die, that revelation is complete. Therefore, the time of my departure is at hand. Preach the word because I'm leaving. Timothy, if you want to be an effective minister of the word, you're not going to be looking for new revelation. You preach what I've taught you. You preach the word of God and preach it because this special office of the apostle of the early church is drawing to a close. And when I die and the rest of them die, what is your job and what's our job today? Preach what we've taught you. Now, let me give you another reason preaching the word is so important. You have very little time, Timothy. The heart of man is such that it gravitates towards hardness and deceitfulness of sin. A person not awakened by the word of God will become harder and harder. While you are playing games with the word, the hearts of your people are becoming increasingly closed to truth. For the time will come when they will no longer endure sound doctrine. Preach it. And one of those reasons is there's coming a day when it will be too late to preach because their hearts will be too hard and they won't endure it. It is a word that feeds. Neglect the word for more exciting things and they will soon be starved for real food, but they will not tolerate real food. They'll go for anything but real food. They can go for revivalism, for experience, for moralism, for miracles, for revelation, entertainment, Looking, uh, uh, looking to entertain the masses. They'll go for humanism. Humanism is taking over in our day. The preaching of the sovereignty of God has been replaced by a man-centered theology that refuses to teach on the depravity of man and teaches that man has what it takes to become a better you. For those who recognize where that comes from. More and more quotes and memes are appearing that instruct us to believe in ourselves, follow our hearts, to look inside ourselves and our potential to be successful. Things like throw me to the wolves and I will come back leading the pack. Humanism. We'll talk more about that this week, hopefully, as we talk about God saves us in, through weakness. Trials are not meant to make us stronger. Trials are meant to make us utterly weak and shattered so we depend on a strength outside of ourselves. If trials make us stronger, that simply means we have what it takes. And God will just strengthen what's in us to overcome. No, he won't. Trials are meant to completely shatter us from any strength we may have so he could save us through weakness and his strength. Anything else is humanism. Once people have crossed a certain line, it will be too late to turn them around through the preaching of the word. Maybe. 
The Apostle Paul is saying, for the time will come when they won't endure sound doctrine. But rebuke and correct and exhort with all longsuffering, because just perhaps God will crack that hard heart and open them once again to truth. It says, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned to fables. The truth will set us free. Fables will not. False teaching is known, <coughs> is known by its inability to free from the power and dominion of sin. But watch in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of evangelists, make full proof of your ministry. Timothy, be alert, be willing to suffer. Keep patiently preaching the word as to a lost people. Fulfill your ministry like I have fulfilled mine in verse 7. Don't neglect evangelism. It is through watching people get saved that the word of God remains alive in the hearts of our people. So don't neglect evangelism. Four, preach the word. Here's where the next four comes in. Four, because I am now ready to be offered, because the time of my departure is at hand. Preach the word because I will soon no longer be here. The apostolic age of the special role of the first 12 apostles is drawing to a close. Therefore, preach the word. The mystery kept secret from the foundation of the world has been revealed and has been established by the 12 apostles. That age is drawing to a close. There's no more to add to it. Preach what you've learned from me. Chapter 2, verse 2. And forget about trying to receive more revelation, more gospel revelation. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Timothy, everything I'm charging you to do, I've done. I'm charging you to fight a good fight. I'm charging you to be faithful. I've done it. You do too. I'm asking you to fulfill your ministry like I have mine. So you can say like I have, I have finished the course. Against all that came against me, the Judaizers from the religious falsehood that came against me to Nero, the secular falsehood that came against me, I've kept the faith. The Judaizers tried to ignore the fallen nature of humanity and preach moralism through the law. Nero tried to silence me and get me to follow the world, the Roman culture, secular culture. I refused them both. I kept the faith with both these tensions around me. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. The chapter begins by charging Timothy with the preaching of the word because the Lord will judge him and his people. Now this section ends with a reminder of that judgment. Because Paul kept the faith and was faithful, the day of judgment would be a glorious day for him. And it will be a glorious day for all of us who love his appearing. What a testimony. Do we recognize what Paul is saying when he's saying there is laid up a crown of life for me? Have you ever thought of the significance, the irony of that? A crown of life? Do we understand what Paul's saying? Paul is saying he knew that the Roman method of execution was beheading. You said, I thought it was crucifixion. It was crucifixion for non-Roman citizens. But they didn't crucify Roman citizens. They beheaded them. The Apostle Paul was a Roman citizen. He was a Jew who had citizenship. We find that in the book of Acts. He knew my departure is at hand. He knew he's going to be beheaded. It's just a matter of any day now when he wrote this. He was saying in essence, Timothy, I'm ready to be offered. I'm ready to be poured out as a drink offering. Preach the word 
I'm leaving. I know I will soon be beheaded. Yet, as my head rolled on pavement and my eyes close in death, my head will receive a crown of life. Head, death, head, crown of life. What peace for having stuck to the word. He's days away from that, maybe weeks. And he's saying, Timothy, I have one thing I want to tell you in closing out my life. Preach the word. He says, Paul had seen it all. He had seen martyrdom. He had seen miracles. He had healed people. He had spoken in tongues. He had a list a mile long of his sufferings for the gospel. He had moved kings. He had seen churches flourish and others suffer. And what was his answer to it all? What did he say was needed more than anything else for the health of the church and for the survival of the faith? Preach the word. Nothing else can take its place. Nothing else may ever be allowed to take its place. Seeing the power of God supernaturally working is a wonderful thing. We love to see that, don't we? I am not a cessationist that believes that the gifts have ceased. I believe the gifts of God are for today. I have personally experienced the supernatural on multiple occasions. I have seen God supernaturally heal. I've seen God stop the mouth of a witch doctor. I have seen the salvation of an individual that brought a church plant about through the supernatural power of God and human weakness. I've seen a lot of the supernatural. But none of those things dare distract us from the preaching of the word. Let me ask you a question. In Acts chapter 20, the apostle Paul was preaching in an upper room. And he was preaching throughout the night. And there was a young man sitting in the window who fell asleep because the preaching got long. Fell out the window. We know the story. Fell down. And Luke, who was a physician who wrote about it, so the physician knows when somebody's dead. Luke went out and he saw this man, this young boy is dead. The apostle Paul went down, prayed over him, and raised him to life. What do you think would happen if that would happen in our, in our gathering here today? If one of our young people here went out, got hit by a car, and is dead out on the road. Dr. Cabe, yep, he's dead. I can confirm that. God came on one of us, went out, and we prayed over him, and he raised up normal, healthy. What would happen to the rest of our day? Would we rejoice? Yeah. Do you think perhaps we would spend the rest of the day seeking for more of that? Probably would. What did the Apostle Paul spend the rest of the night doing? Preaching. You see, he went right back to preaching. He saw the preaching of the word as so important that he's not even going to allow the wonderful experience of the supernatural to take its place. Anyway, we'd probably spend the rest of the week celebrating the occasion. Yeah, I'm not saying there'd be anything wrong with it. But I'm just saying, let's not allow anything to distract us from the focus of the preaching of the word. The Apostle Paul had seen all that. And he's saying, Timothy, stick to the word. That's what's important. If we neglect the preaching of the word, we will lose the foundation of the gospel that makes the supernatural possible. As wonderful as that is, I'm not going to neglect the preaching of the word for the rest of the night because you need to know this if you want to sustain this power in your life. 
Today, the Apostle Paul's cry is still the same. Nothing may ever take the place of preaching the word. A call to missions is only as effective as a proper gospel foundation through the preaching of the word. Go out. Commit yourself to taking the gospel. Be a missionary. All great, but do you, know, do you even understand the message you're supposed to take out? A call to holiness is only as good as our understanding of the gospel and what makes us holy. Revival preaching is only as effective as its anchoring in the word. The gifts of the spirit are only as safe as a grounding in the word of the one who possesses them. A church that is filled with the gifts of the spirit, and we want that, don't we? A church that is filled with the gifts of the spirit can be a very sinful, carnal, immature church. Visit the church at Corinth, if you don't believe me. The apostle Paul told them, you have more gifts than any other church. You have more spiritual gifts than any other church, but you're carnal and immature and lack love. So spiritual gifts are no sign of spiritual maturity. At least they weren't in the, in the church at Corinth. I do believe if they had continued down that road, God would have taken that power from many of them. So I believe that spiritual maturity is important. But it's no, I'm just saying, the preaching of the word is what transforms us. The gifts are an outflow of that. I wonder if much of the strife in churches that Paul (laughs) talks about in 2 Timothy is a result of not preaching the word. He's saying all the fighting, the bickering, the false doctrine that's being taught, counter it with preaching the word. So if we don't preach the word, that means that's what we're going to have. Striving about about words to no profit. (coughs) So if we are to preach the word, then this means that those of us who preach will be held accountable to the way we handle the word of God. Beginning of this chapter four. And this means all fathers of the home, all you young people, every one of us who ever takes the word of God in our hands and teaches it to another person or even teaches it to ourselves will be held accountable for how seriously we handle the word of God in our lives, and in our homes. This means that anyone who is in a position to lead people, to influence people's souls, will be held accountable as to what they did with the word of God. And I tremble sometimes. Sometimes I don't, sometimes I want to stop preaching when I think of this stuff. I'm going to give account on the day of judgment to a greater degree than many other people. I was thinking the other day, I've probably preached about 200 messages in the last six years. And I start thinking, my, oh, my, oh, my. God help me. It makes me tremble sometimes when I think of the account that those of us who speak are going to give. Beware of any teaching that's not word-centered. Beware of a preacher who doesn't place the word between himself and the people. That's why I like to stand here and I want to come to the word and take the word to you and bring you to the word. And have the word visually between me and the people. Not just sitting here off to the side talking with you i want that visual that you see that the word is an authority between my audience and myself in closing someone once said and some of you will recognize this quote israel gathered around a presence today churches gather around a sermon i heard the context of that quote it's a nice little meme that was created out of that that gets shared on social media And he was talking about 
the pillar of cloud that was the presence of God in the camp of Israel. This pillar of cloud that the whole camp of Israel gathered around. That pillar of cloud was the presence of God. And Israel camped around that. And he was saying, today churches gather around a sermon. While Israel gathered around a presence, we need to focus our gatherings on presence of God, not on the preaching of the word. Well, that's kind of cliche. And it makes a nice meme, but it's false to the core. It's dangerous. The man presented a false dichotomy. He presented it as an either or. Either you have the preaching of the word or you have the presence, but you can't have both. It's kind of like he was presenting it as. That's what you call a false dichotomy, as if that's the only options you have. Let me ask you, where was this cloud? Where was this presence? It was right over the tabernacle. Inside the tabernacle was what? The Ark of the Covenant. Inside the covenant was what? The written word of God. The presence was right where the written word of God, the Ten Commandments were. There wasn't a separation between the presence and the centrality of the word. That's why it's false. And today, any presence we experience is going to be short-lived if it's not anchored in the word of God. We're going to close there. Tomorrow, we're going to look a lot more closely at what it means to preach the word through gospel lenses. And the rest of the week, we're going to go into the Old Testament and show what that looks like in the Old Testament. May God bless you.